This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. This week marked the 47th anniversary of the U.S. Supreme Court's landmark decision to legalize abortion across the country, citing the decision on the right to privacy in the 14th Amendment. Roe v. Wade changed the landscape of the United States by giving women the right to make decisions when it comes to their own bodies. Through its 47-year history, abortion rights have been constantly challenged. In 2007, the Supreme Court upheld a federal law that criminalized second trimester pregnancy termination. Trap laws became more common. States placed more restrictions on abortion providers. Waiting periods for appointments are increased weeks into pregnancy. Ultrasounds and counseling become requirements for procedure sign-offs. Alabama, Kansas, and Missouri passed personhood laws, giving a fertilized egg constitutional rights. As of 2019, 33 states have introduced some form of an abortion ban, and of those, 12 states enacted those bans. I'm Nairi Bagdasarian, and this is Look West. In contrast to the rest of the nation, California lawmakers and activists have worked tirelessly to establish the state as a safe haven for women and anyone seeking reproductive health care. In 2019, the California state legislature voted overwhelmingly to declare California a reproductive freedom state with Assemblymember Buffy Wicks' Assembly Concurrent Resolution 110. And Assemblymember Rebecca Bauer-Kane began her tenure as chair of the new Assembly Select Committee on Women's Reproductive Health. I sat down with Assemblymembers Wicks and Bauer-Kane and Planned Parenthood Stacy Cross to talk about women's reproductive health and rights. We met in a little-known gem hidden in plain sight across the street from the state capitol known as the Old State Law Library. Sitting on the brown leather sofa surrounding a wooden coffee table, our voices echo slightly off the high ceilings. We began with the three women sharing their personal stories as to why this issue is so important to them, starting with Assemblymember Buffy Wicks. This issue in particular is important to me because I had an abortion when I was 25, um, which I uh, talked about in my first floor speech uh, about a year ago when I first got into office. Um, I was living on a friend's couch. I w- didn't have a job. I had had an unplanned pregnancy with someone I was not intending to build a family with. Um, and so I was faced with a tough choice and I went to a Planned Parenthood clinic in San Francisco. Um, and it was met with open arms and warmth and compassion and a lot of information and uh, made a decision that uh, was right for me, uh, which was to have an abortion uh, at that age. Um, and when I think about that decision point in my life and what my, how my life would be different now, um, you know, I went on and worked for President Obama for six years and got elected <laughs> into the assembly. And you can certainly do those things, obviously, with unplanned pregnancies that I, at that age, of course. And someone make that decision, and that is great for them. It was not the right decision for me at that time. And so having the ability to make that decision um, for myself was very critical, which is why I always say I will do anything Planned Parenthood ever asks me to do, <laughs> um, because um, we need those resources, we need that access, we need the ability to make those decisions for ourselves. So this issue is incredibly personal for me, um, and I wanted to talk about it because I also think we need to take the shame out of the conversation, um, and for me that means um, talking about it personally um, as an elected official, someone who's in uh, more of the public spotlight. Yeah, I think, you know, I often joke that the reason this is personal is because I have a uterus, but 
Reproductive autonomy is central to women's lives and their economic freedom and who we are and what our story tells us. And everybody has a story, right? 90% of California's women will be on birth control at some point. Uh, so we know that p women are making these choices at some point along their story, and they deserve the autonomy and the privacy to do that with whoever their partner is or their family and their doctor and nobody else. And that decision can mean to choose to have an abortion. It can mean to choose to have no children at all. It can mean to choose to have three children, what I've done, and when to do that and how to do that. And each of us has been in a moment with our doctors where we've made personal decisions, and that is not the place for the government and it is the place for us and so it is incumbent upon those of us that are elected and especially the women who are elected because we're still far from equal in numbers in our chamber or any chamber across the country except Nevada <laughs> um, to step up and speak for women and make sure that we continue to have the autonomy we deserve and I don't think in my lifetime I believed it would be as at risk as it is today and so now is the time to speak. I know right who would have thought and then here we are I know. I went to law school in Washington, D.C., very close to the Supreme Court. I was thinking on my way here about the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and I would run around the mall often in law school, and on that day, you would go out and you would see throngs of people taking to the streets, both in support and against Roe v. Wade. And I remember thinking as I ran through those demonstrations, why are we talking about this? Roe is safe. And here we are today, not very many years later, knowing that it is on the brink of really being taken away from us. And I think we need to remember that every day. So I got into this work because I started as a CEO with Planned Parenthood 19 years ago, 19 and a half years ago. And I always believed in choice and reproductive health care. And I have five adult children by choice. And, but what has kept me in this work is a couple of things. One, I always knew that my mother's mother died at 47 due to lack of access to birth control right after she delivered her ninth child. What I didn't know is that my dad's mom died of an illegal abortion when she was 19. And we cannot go back. And I just think of my, I have two daughters and three sons, and I think of this every time I see patients walk through, we have 35 health centers, every time I see patients walk through that we have got to do whatever it takes to be able to make this safe and legal into the future. And it is the most fragile that it's ever been in my lifetime and the most fragile it's ever been just since I've been working for Planned Parenthood. We have fought for it consistently, but I, this is a year that's going to be a year that I know people are exhausted, but they're gonna have to mm -hmm. stand up, speak out, and fight because we are, are, it's a fragile state that we're in. But things are different on the federal level. How's that impacting California? But what's going on federally is tragic. Um, it's just devastating to women and, and men all across America. I would say that there's been 300 bans in 2019, abortion bans. Of course, you know, they're not enacted, but they're ready to go. And there are states that it's incredibly fragile already because they've been chipping away, chipping away at access. It was first 24-hour waiting periods. Now it's, it's shorter, and you have to go and you have to speak to the same provider uh, before before you come back and it just everything that happens puts an additional barrier on women and women sometimes that drive eight hours so they have to go back and speak with that provider in person 
Um, it's just, it's horrific what is happening. Six week bans, many women don't know that they're pregnant at six weeks. So that's, that's just like unbelievable that we have that in place. The gag rule, the domestic gag rule from Title X mm -hmm. um, has impact and it's gonna have a devastating impact on access to birth control for women. So in fact, we will probably ultimately see an increase in abortion numbers if you can't access birth control chances are you're not going to stop having sex. You're going to have an unplanned pregnancy. And what that is, Planned Parenthood made a really difficult decision, but a decision that we have to keep with our integrity and our truth and our values, that when the gag rule passed, almost every Planned Parenthood that had the ability, because Planned Parenthoods in red states didn't have access to Title X, because that's one of the chipping aways that they have done, so it would not allow our providers to speak truth and give all options for our patients. And we can never be in a situation where we gag our providers and don't allow them to give full information for our patients. So when it went into effect, we all chose to walk away from Title X. So it's increasing the number of unplanned pregnancies, and I think we will see that. It's decreasing access because people aren't able to go to a Planned Parenthood where they felt safe and comfortable. They know that when they walk through our doors that we offer compassionate, confidential care, regardless of who you are, where you live, what you believe, and it has Sorry, it's just had a devastating impact, and I am very fearful of what's happening right now with the bans, with the gag rule, with the impact on comprehensive sex mm -hmm. education. It all builds. And California, when I talk to my peers, and there are seven affiliates that I'm representing here today in California, they, we are a beacon of light for the entire country. I also cover Nevada, which is wonderful, but our peers, look to us to be able to push things forward. We're in a situation where we have to be as strong as possible, the affiliates here, because we know that the rest of the country and the other affiliates across the country and women across America are counting on Planned Parenthood and also counting on California to be this beacon of light. And our governor has allowed us to do that and our legislators have allowed us to do that. But we are preparing for people to come to our state. We already see um, people from 50 states and our affiliate but I think um, we're going to see more of that, and we're preparing for that. We've destigmatized abortion as part of the care that we provide here. It's just everyday care, and we're going to have to be prepared for an increase of numbers, and we're doing that. So I, people in California should feel incredibly proud where we are and what we're doing and what our government has done. And I think there's an important point that um, Stacy makes, which is, that Title X funding, which was bringing in money from the federal government to provide comprehensive reproductive health care for women, is now gone. There are no Title X providers left in the county I live in because they've turned down that funding and they said they will not be gagged. But what that means is there is a potential to decrease the access to that comprehensive reproductive health care, and it is incumbent upon us in California to ensure that doesn't happen, that despite these bans, that we expand care and that we do not shrink in any way, shape, or form. And I, and I think that's an important point. We're doing everything we can here, I think, legislatively, but we still have a lot of work in California, too, as I'm sure you know, right? 43% of California counties don't have abortion providers. 
Um, I think one million women between the ages of 15 and 49 don't have access um, to abortion provider within 50 miles. So especially in these rural communities, mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's still very challenging. And obviously mm-hmm. our Medi-Cal covers abortion services, but a lot of low-income women are not on Medi-Cal. So there's things that I think we need to continue to do here to ensure that we have access as well. I mean, the good news is we have the political will, but you know we still have work to do as well. Well, one of the things that you all pass, which is going to have a great impact, is telemedicine. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that will allow us to provide medication abortion all and across the state. And that was Cuddy Norris's bill, right? Pardon me? Yep, Cuddy Norris's yes. bill. Yep. Yes. Yep. And that we're just starting, we're leading that in California, and that's going to really help improve access not only to uh, abortion care, but also to contraception. And we provide uh, gender-affirming care, which is also a challenge for our patients in rural areas, and that will allow us to provide that, including behavioral health, which is something that Planned Parenthood of Mermonte does. And I think one of the things that's been really important and has come up in both the work that um, Assemblymember Wicks and I have done is how does California continue to lead in an area as the federal government shies away and states across the country make moves to reduce these rights? And so, you know, that's one of the reasons that we formed the Select Committee on Women's Reproductive Health that I chair because we wanted to make sure that as we're looking at the new reality, we are working with the best and the brightest in California to figure out what are the needs. What Mm -hmm. are the needs for California's women and what are the needs for the women across this country in the way that we can support them? Because we will lead, but we need to figure out the answers for women in rural communities and women up and down the state who will potentially see less access. Or even, you know, we know we have problems today. We know that African-American women are three times more likely to die in a hospital when giving birth than I am, which is beyond the pale and we need to fix. And, you know, thanks to Senator Holly Mitchell, we did a bill last year to work on that and to work on the training doctors have to eliminate their bias so that we see less of that. But it's a question we need to continue to ask and continue to work for because comprehensive reproductive health care means being safe in every environment. Absolutely. And just to sort of add on to the, the notion that California is a sort of beacon of hope, Um, I did a resolution, um, ACR 110, declaring California a reproductive freedom state for all. And the genesis behind that was I just got pissed about what was going on (laughs) in the rest of the country, right? You're looking at Alabama and Mississippi and Missouri and these states that have, as you mentioned, these super restrictions. I mean, the Alabama, basically all-out abortion ban is horrific, even in the case of rape or incest. It's like... It makes me so angry, just even thinking about the fact that these people can pass this type of law. Um, sorry. Um, and I think about my own situation, about what I went through, and if what if I was a 25-year-old woman in one of those states right now? You know, what would I do? Right. Uh, and especially if you don't have the means to go to a state that offers access. So I got pissed off and I decided to do the resolution to to declare a statement of principles that we in California are a reproductive freedom state for all. That is what our values are. It's who we are as a state. It's who we are as leaders in this country on this issue. And frankly, I wanted the votes of all of my colleagues on that bill to make them stand on the dotted line with us on this issue um, because I think it's critical, it's, it's important, and it sends a message to the rest of the country. Absolutely. And it's what what's happening across the country with these bans, is is not is horrific. But I think California is going to see women come through our borders, mm-hmm. and uh, it's important that we are a safe haven state. That's right. And as probably 
is safety net because not only because women cannot, not all women can fly here. They're going to be transported by a variety of ways. And so it's going to be the cost of transportation. It's going to be the cost of housing. It's going to be childcare. It's going to be feeding these folks. And so, and frequently in these families, it may also be that they have to be coming for another reason. So we will have to have help with that too. I have a constituent who tells stories about when she was an undergrad at Columbia, mm-hmm. and she used to house women who were coming to New York to seek access to abortion um, when it was banned because they would stay in the dorms because they had nowhere else to be. And so the female students at Columbia would put them up and, and feed them and take care of them. And the idea that we're going back to those days is just horrific. Yeah. Horrific. Yeah, one of my board members in Montana was a minister that was involved with the Jane Network, which was a network prior to Roe being legalized of um, clergy, all forms of clergy that helped transport women, kind of the Underground Railroad, from one point to a next point to a safe provider. And to think he is probably looking down saying, I cannot believe this is happening again, that we are this close to that. It's just, yeah, I'm pissed off too. Mm -hmm. And everybody should be pissed off. And to your point, Stacy, when you opened about this means women's lives, right? Absolutely. I mean, when it wasn't legal, women died. And I think we need to be very, very clear that that is what this means. Yeah. And, and those that were lucky not to die right. lost their fertility. Mm-hmm. And that is unacceptable. Right. Yeah. Because choice means all the choices. Absolutely. Um, what does having a choice mean? What is reproductive freedom? I mean, I think one of the best days of my life best three days of my life was giving birth to my children and watching them enter the world. And that was my freedom to experience that and to make that choice and to experience that. And not everyone will make that choice. And that's freedom, right? Freedom means the ability to do what you choose. And that is what Roe v. Wade said. It said that I have a right to privacy. I have a right to that freedom. And I have a right to that choice, as does every woman across this country. And I think that we need to be thinking broader because Although abortion is such an important piece of this, um, Assemblymember Wicks and I sat in public safety last year and listened to the story of women who had been forcibly sterilized in California's prisons not so long ago and had been denied the right to choose to have a child. And that is not freedom. And so freedom means I can choose birth control. I can choose to give birth. I can choose to end a pregnancy. I can choose. And that's what it means to me. Yeah, and I think... I've agree with all of that. I think it's the ability to make these decisions that's best for your life. Um, And that's how I think about the decision that I made. It's how I think about what I want my daughter to be able to have that same ability to make that decision, to have the agency to make that decision, um, to be respected in that process, um, and to not have any um, hurdles put in your way um, in order to make that decision everything that they have already said, but uh, it makes me think of a a, a story about reproductive freedom, which is um, when we would have protesters outside of our health centers that would find themselves pregnant and they would come in to receive services. They usually went to a different health center then, Um, but they were always shocked and surprised how compassionate and loving and judgment-free we were of them, regardless of the fact that they'd been screaming at us. And for some of them, it made a difference. For others, it didn't make a difference, but it's having full control over your body, your choices, 
um, not to access birth control, to have a pregnancy, to um, be able to say to somebody no in a sexual encounter. It's all those things, everything combined. Mm -hmm. When uh, the 2016 election happened, I came home from a uh, event and my two daughters were there and they were crying because they knew the impact that this administration could have on this and thinking that they were they've always had access to birth control they've always had access to choice but to think right now that they knew that this could possibly limit this for their future pissed them off but made them sad and also activated them in a way mm -hmm. that it's activated hundreds of thousands of women and men all across the United States and we need to we need to keep motivated. Well that is the silver lining if there <laughs> yes, is one. I mean absolutely. I ran for this seat because Donald Trump got elected to president. And that was I, I was again pissed off and decided I'm gonna do something about it mm -hmm. in a different kind of way. So I do think I think that many women across this country felt the same way. So absolutely. here we are. Both of us are sitting here. Yep. Because he won that election. So <laughs> It comes out of everything. But um, I think one of the things that I want to touch on on freedom also is comprehensive sex education. You cannot yes. be free unless you understand what your body means and how mm -hmm. it works and what your choices are. And so we were just having that conversation across the street and in the Capitol. And we need to continue to have it because children need to understand as they are raised how to make choices of their own and what their options are how to make choices and how to be safe. Mm -hmm. And it needs to start at a much younger age That's right. so that they know what's safe, what's not safe, right. how to say no, both for young women and young men because there's a lot of pressure. And so it's really important. We have lots of areas in our, in our service area that we cannot get into the schools because of how conservative they are. So we, we get in any way that we can and we talk about it, but there are school, it's surprising to me that there are school districts here that are still conservative. Access is the other half of reproductive freedom. Does California have care deserts where there are hundreds of miles between each facility and women have to travel hours to access a facility that provides abortions and relevant health care? You know, I grew up in a rural community um, and getting access to care when I was young was very challenging. Um, and so I know what that's like, uh, having gone through that myself. Um, but I think with Assemblymember Peachy Norris's bill with the telehealth piece, hopefully that will mm -hmm. help. I, I think getting more women um, signed up for Medi-Cal so they can increase their access is critical. Um, expanding as much access to Planned Parenthoods as we possibly can is important. We need those safe spaces. Women need those safe spaces, whether you're living in the heart of San Francisco or you're in, you know, Butte County or wherever you are in this state, having that ability is critical. And I think it is more difficult for in, in rural places um, to have that type of access. Yeah, and our first uh, Select Committee on Reproductive Health really looked at what are the barriers to access, and this was one of the things we looked at and we're going to continue to look at, because not only is are there deserts, like you mentioned, but also it's important to meet them where they're at, in the language they speak, um, and make sure that we are out in the communities getting them the education and access to the tools they need to get comprehensive reproductive health care, and that means a lot of different things. Absolutely. There's, we cover 29 counties of California and the Central Valley. There's a critical shortage of providers. So it's, it's really multifaceted. It has to be culturally sensitive. We have to have enough staff that speak the languages where people walk in the door. But we also have to have providers and we have to be able to 
pay the providers what they want to live in a rural area, then they have to have um, staff there, and they have to feel safe. Telemedicine is going to be incredibly helpful for this, but it's it's multifaceted. Rural areas, be, um, because it, Central Valley is a perfect example, it, you have to be able to, how do you get there? Do you have transportation? Um, so there's multiple barriers. Telemedicine is going to help, but it's not going to solve everything. So we have to really think of all the different barriers to care, what limit access, and how we can get people to feel comfortable to walk through the door or pick up the phone or go online. But it's, it's really multifaceted. There's not one thing that's going to solve this issue, and they have to have it be affordable. And I think that uh, I grew up in Stacy's service area and, um, you know, more urban areas, and there's denial of care in our communities, right? There's a case right now of a denial of care here in Sacramento. So even where you have providers, we need to make sure they're providing comprehensive reproductive care, and of course Planned Parenthood always does that, but not all providers do. So it's an important question to look at and ensure that we continue to protect patients. How does sexual and reproductive health care fit in the fight to improve overall health care in the landscape of California? Well, I mean, I think... You know, what we did, uh, the governor's announcement last year on expanding Medi-Cal to our undocumented neighbors and community members under the age of 25, um, that's important, right? Those are younger people. They are having sex. They need access to reproductive care. They need access to to birth control, um, things of this nature. So I think it's part and parcel of the larger healthcare conversation and needs to always be part and parcel of the larger healthcare conversation. Yeah, reproductive healthcare is healthcare, right? And we need to make sure that people have comprehensive health care. There are 20 million women in California, more than 20 million, so over half the population, right? And they deserve access to comprehensive care. And I think we've touched on it throughout this conversation, um, how pissed we are by what's happening across this country and how California wants to and will continue to lead. But as Stacy mentioned, at this moment in history, it is incumbent upon every single person in this state, and I'd love to say across this country, to be in this fight with us. We will be fighting for comprehensive reproductive health care, but we need you with us. And we need you out there talking about the importance of this and educating your fellow neighbors and women and making sure that this fight continues because we have been fortunate to be raised at a moment in time when we didn't have to worry about access to a care or access to choice, but that is changing. And it is only through our action and our voices that we can fight that. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's huge. If you don't have access to abortion care, you don't have access to annual exams, you don't have access to prenatal care, you don't have access to birth control and STI testing. And the impact, you know, increased, not surprisingly, um, increased the number of unplanned pregnancies, but it also vastly increased the number of maternal deaths. It increased the, you know, STIs. It also increased the number of abortions. But it increases women's health impacts the entire community. So women are really are the hubs of their families. And if they don't have access to care, it impacts the community, it impacts their family, and it impacts, ultimately, can impact the whole state. Does the responsibility of how California is the beacon for the rest of the country, does it feel very heavy on your shoulders? And if there's one thing that you um, want our listeners to know and to like really like absorb, what would it be? Um, 
I feel lucky and honored to be in California, to be in a state where these are our values. Um, there's a responsibility with that that I think all of us, at least sitting in this room, take very, very <laughs> seriously. And frankly, a lot of our colleagues, the governor, we have a lot of leaders, mayors, we have many people across the state in leadership positions, faith leaders, community leaders who are with us and stand with us. Um, so I think keeping those ties strong and, and organizing together and acting together, um, there is a responsibility to that. But I do feel lucky to be in a state where um, we have those values, right? Right. Um, and I think we're going to continue on this fight. I know I'm committed to it. I know uh, Rebecca's committed to it as well as a lot of our colleagues as well. I think in terms of the what's one thing we'd want to leave the listeners um, to think about is they have the power and the agency to be effective at this fight. And not only the power and the agency, but the responsibility too, to join us. And that means speaking out. It means telling their story. It means um, contacting their legislator about, um, and, and their governor and others, and their federal leadership as well. It means um, talking to their friends in other states about this issue. It means um, speaking out against the president on this issue. Um, and that voice is so critical. And, and fundamentally, it means voting on this issue. Um, and for me, that's a very important criteria when I look at who I'm going to be supporting. Um, obviously, I think most Democrats are with us on this, but not all. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really important thing. So I think it's taking action, it's voting, it's being present, it's being um, speaking up and being loud and organizing and being active and agitating and being pissed <laughs> about it. Going back to the theme of the conversation, um, that is critical. And the time is now. We are in a very um, precarious place in this country right now. And I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but I truly believe that. And so what happens in 2020 and beyond um, in, our, in our ballot boxes is going to, we're at a, a, ch a choice, a, a fork in the road in this nation. So the time is now to act. It's a privilege at this moment in history to be in this position and have the ability to be a part of this conversation and push the importance of women's equality and women's right to choose and women's reproductive health care. And yes, that means a lot of weight right now and a lot of responsibility, but every day I wake up grateful that my constituents have chosen me to continue to speak on their behalf and fight for them and fight for their right to comprehensive reproductive health care and all of the values that they hold. And so that's what I'll do every day while I'm here. And what I want to leave listeners with is this is not a partisan issue. It has become one but it should not be one. Every woman, I don't care what her voter registration is, has a body and she should be able to control it and she should be able to make the choice. And if she doesn't believe abortion is right, she should choose not to. But if another woman should be able to choose differently, she should be able to make that choice. And so let's get back to a place where we believe no matter who you are or what your party registration is, that equality for women is important and so is comprehensive reproductive health care. Well, I, in fact, moved to California because of the election. Uh, this position was open, and it's the largest affiliate in the country, and I knew we'd have the largest voice. And I feel it's a huge responsibility to be able to do the things here that impact other places. But I completely agree with you. People need to be sharing their stories. They need to be speaking out. It is about equality. It's about human rights. This is a human right to be able to have control over our bodies. And I think it's an issue for women, but it's also an issue for men. They need to speak up and protect their partners. Well, thank you for being with me today and for uh, being with us today. And uh, stay pissed. <laughs> <laughs> we have ample opportunity, don't worry. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> 
I'm Nairi Bagdasarian, and thanks for listening. The Look West podcast is produced by the California Assembly Democrats. Please subscribe and rate this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And when you think of California and politics, remember to look west.